So the Mariners going into game one after uh, being in Cleveland the night before. It's not a long trip from Cleveland, Ohio to Chicago, Illinois, but the Mariners did play 12 innings, um, losing to Cleveland. We talked about that on the last episode. Ran through the bullpen uh, pretty hard there um, throughout that series. And, uh, you know, they found themselves again in an extra inning game. Uh, you know, the Mariners seemed to kind of come out a bit flat there on Monday. But late in the game, you know, the guy that we're talking about uh, a lot here, uh, J.K. comes out there um, and destroys a ball into right field into the night. Great camera work by the cameraman on that one. Uh, what do you got to say about game one besides that? Yeah, I mean, J.K. hit a mistake pitch. The guy hung him a, a cement mixer, and he he crushed it. They hang him and bang him, and he banged it out of there. I mean, it was crushed. Um, yeah, tough loss, 3-2 to two and 10. I mean, uh, there's some things that, you know, I had some concerns with that I saw that went throughout the game. You know, the Mariners got on the board early. A.J. Pollock with the bases loaded in the fourth hits a sacrifice fly that scores France. So now with two outs, Sam Haggerty comes up uh, with runners on second and third. He works it to a 3-0 count, and they green light him. Pops it right up. I mean, thoughts on that? I'll tell you what mine are. What are they? Uh, 3-0 count to Sam Haggerty? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I don't know what he's done so far this season. I'd have to I'd have to look because I'm not seeing it. I'm going to have to deep dive. For 3-0, I can see if you give JK a 3-0 right now. I can see if you give, uh, you know, Suarez one, France you know, Julio, people that you you are trusting with the bat that have, you know, shown the discipline and three zero. Where also, let's not forget Haggerty is fast, very fast. This is a close game. The objective is to get him on base. So yes, on three zero. Why are you not taking there? Yeah, I mean, and then later on, you know, the Cubs come right back in that fourth inning, put up two. Um, Hosmer has owned Luis Castillo. He started off the game batting 11 for 17 with an average of 647, finished with two hits to bump up that average to 684. And then, you know, it was pretty quiet there after the fourth until we got to the uh, eighth inning. Hummel gets on, leadoff double down the right field corner. And it was a kind of a, a very key play in that game. Um, Dansby Swanson was playing behind um, Hummel at, sec at shortstop, not playing in his normal position, more right behind the bag. There was a two-hopper shot right up the gut to Dansby. You know, usually you see, think ball hit to your left, you can go. But it was hit so hard, Dansby made a great play. Obviously, Hummel was not watching or paying attention where Dansby was lined up, and he grabbed the two hopper, threw to third, and threw him out by 10 feet. What a rally killer there yeah. with, two, with a guy on second and nobody out, and you're down one. It's huge. It's huge, especially coming off of what – I know these are separate games for me, but just after what you went through the night before, you know, for these kinds of things to happen, it's, it's got to be tough. on the, For the fan, it was tough. Right, you know, uh, 
the pitching staff, especially the bullpen, lots of miles. The batteries were low, but when you look at this, you know, Castillo went out there six innings, gave up six hits. Not the sharpest he's been all season. Easy to say when you don't give up any runs <laughs> in in the your first two times out there. But again, still good good start. Only two earned runs, got five strikeouts. You had Topa coming out there, not giving up anything. Spy, and then you got Spire. There's another guy I think that we didn't mention him at the top of this. Pitching really good out of the bullpen. Uh, just was like one of the very last cuts, I believe, um, when they made the opening day roster. You know, Seawald comes out there, gets a clean frame. And then, unfortunately, like the way we have these extra inning games with the guy on second base, got Brash out there, and we talked about this at the start. Not really indicative of the pitch choices and the, you know, pitcher versus batter. <sighs> I don't know. He, you can talk about this. I, I, I just don't know what to say about it. Uh, I, I was listening, and I finally watched the dead to rights guy who was on second base. We had a guy out. Can you, can you break down what happened there in the tenth with uh, Brash? Oh yeah, another tough one, especially after coming off the night before with Murphy. Same type of situation. Tries the, the old spin move, you know, the quick turnaround. This one was a little different. Brash lifts his leg and then turns it. More of a, a fake-out pitch like he's pitching and then pivots towards second base. The runner is taking off. Brash can't get his foot down in time and then kind of stumbles slightly and throws to Gino wildly and late. And it gets a guy in the scoring position, and he's safe at third. Very frustrating. Very frustrating, especially and that's it, compounding on what happened the evening before. So basically, we had two botched pickoff, whether they're attempts or or throws or opportunities, back to back nights and extra innings. I'm wondering where in baseball history this has happened, where it's led to a loss in in that inning. Yeah, I mean that was. It was a frustrating game. You know, I mentioned the homo play. Uh, in the 10th, the M's leave the bases loaded. Um, in in the 10th, we're on the field after Brash, you know, has that runner steal on him. He strikes out the next the next batter in Tyler Buckholt, or Bernhardt, excuse me. And then Nico Horner, you know, with a little flare to right field and game over. I mean, it, it was a killer, especially coming after that game in Cleveland to end up and finish off their series. Yeah, and especially to <laughs> add to it, the inning before, J.K. comes up there, pinch hits, you know, the, uh, was it the, the at-bat prior to that? I believe he came in, but he was a, uh, he did not start the game because there was a lefty out there. Comes up with this huge, huge home run, which was pretty much some foreshadowing for the rest of the series. Mariners seem to have grabbed the momentum, and then that happens, and then you, you know, like you said, dead to rights guy, you know, you, you almost got yourself, it was almost like they were getting themselves out of, or it was almost, I was sorry, I should say, it was almost like the baseball gods gave them a gift to make up for the night before, and it, and it just got muffed. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, they were down, like you mentioned, two to one, they get that big, big home run in the ninth by JK, um, you're feeling really good. You're, you know, he's feeling good. 
you're feeling good. Good, we got this game tied up. And then that situation happens in the 10th um, where we leave them loaded again. Like I mentioned, you can't add on, so we're still tied. And then all that hell breaks loose in the 10th when the Cubs were at, at bat. And it was another devastating loss. Yeah, it was devastating. There's also stuff earlier in that game, you know, Tom Murphy did not look good behind the plate, throwing the ball around. We, you know, the ball seemed like it was flying into the, the outfield quite a bit um, from either in the infield or from the pitcher or the catcher over the last couple of days. Yeah. I mean, that was a wild, wild throw. That was a wild throw. Sorry, Shelly over at Murphy's. That was a... That was a bad throw by your boy Tom. If you're listening, I mean, to this. shout just, out to Shelly. I mean, Murphy's I'm, I'm, on 45th. I'm not going to pile on, but yeah, I am. I mean, he's got one hit. <laughs> he's got a bunch of strikeouts. He's. I mean, I, I realize you got to. You have to have a guy like him, you know, to give Cal a day off. But come on, Tom, let's go, buddy. Come on. I mean, you called it. He asked for the ball when he got his first hit this year. <laughs> so. Yeah, he knows how pathetic he's been. <laughs> he felt it. Uh. Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast. We have the one and only Mr. Tom Hutler. How are you doing? Doing well, guys. There was one time I came out of a watering hole in West Seattle watching some guy had been overserved, and I came out. I came out of the restaurant, and he goes, "You're the Mariner guy." I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Could you do Ken Griffey Jr.?" And I said, "Okay." So I did it, and he goes, "You're a great man." <laughs> Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast. Hear the full episode on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Well, you know, that's enough about game one. Let's jump into game two. Let's just briefly go through game two. This, this is a start where, you know, Robbie Ray should be out there. Flexen's out there. Mariners are jumping up to a, a 7-0 lead early in the first two innings. And then just the wheels came off. And this was just an unfortunate situation compounded by how much they've used the bullpen Throughout the Cleveland series, even during the wins, you go back to the Cleveland series on that Friday, the bullpen cleaned up what Logan couldn't do. Saturday, uh, another game that the bullpen stood strong. Sorry, uh, after Marco after Marco got you where you needed to be, the, the bullpen held that game down. Then, of course, you have the 12-inning game. You have the game on Monday. You more than desperately needed to get seven innings out of Flexen. And in fact, I think that's we all know that's why they why they left him out there. You know, you have the you have you have a healthy bullpen full of your guys. You're not seeing him get left out there like that, especially in that third inning. Yeah. I mean, after those last two games, the fan base is getting a little restless, you know, me included. More on not you know how they've played and um they get off to a good start get two in the first and then give that big inning in the second to put five up and you're up seven nothing and you're feeling pretty good yeah i mean we were we, we were feeling pretty good as fans we were feeling great we were going seven runs oh good you know what all flexing ever does just like marco it might not be lights out shit but he's always giving you a chance to win. He's always going to compete. There's nothing in my head that says this guy's not going five innings, giving up you know more than four runs. 
And the way that the Mariners were swinging the bat, you thought they were going to keep piling on. And to be fair, they put a couple more on the board. They scored nine runs. You score nine runs, you think you're going to win. When the Mariners score nine runs, they typically do uh, because of the pitching that we have and the bullpen that we have. And that just wasn't the case. But credit to Chicago. They swung the bats great this entire series. Yeah, they sure did. They, I mean, they had 18 hits that game. Talking about flexing, he looked okay in the first two innings. I noticed that he was throwing his his cutter and his slider. All were outside to um, Chicago Cubs batters. I, he didn't seem like he wanted to work inside to them at all, and I felt like they knew that at one point. I mean, they had quite a few hits to the opposite direction to right field and went with a pitch, and – they had a game plan going in there, and it was something that I felt like Flexen never made an adjustment to. Maybe he didn't have his stuff where he felt like he could go inside on the guys, but, I, you know, if you're, only, if you're only knowing that you're, as the batter, that the pitcher's just working the outer half of the plate, I mean, you're feeling pretty good and zeroing in on where the ball's going to be, and you're going to hit that like, you did, like they did. Yeah, and you mentioned... You know, he looked all right to start. You go back to that second inning prior to the, you know, the <laughs> wheels coming off in the third. You watch Pete Woodworth go out to the mound. You watch Cal go out to the mound. And both times, that turned into immediate outs. We got the double play, got the strikeout. I was just very shocked at the very next inning this all happened. Uh, I think I even texted with you the same thing. Like, listen, this guy's so coachable. We're so lucky to have Flexen. I mean, the announcers were selling us that story. And I think we are. It's just, you know, every pitcher gets shelled at, at one point or another. It just it's it hurts more when you watch a seven-run lead evaporate. But, again, this wasn't a seven-run lead in the 15 or 16. This was in the first third of the game, which I always say – it, it doesn't matter if you have a 10-run lead. If if the other team comes back in the second inning with eight or seven, you didn't cough up the game. That's just the way this game is going to go. That's the story. That's what's going on. The wind was blowing out. Um, we knew that game two seemed like that was going to be the game that you're going to have to put the runs on the board versus game three where you're like, hey, you got Stroman out there who hasn't given up any runs just like Luis Castillo hasn't, and you had Gilbert. It played out that way, and the Mariners just lost the slugfest. Yeah, they sure did. I mean, after getting all those runs, they i mean, they got it close in the fourth inning. A great home run by Jared Kelnick, you know, to bring the game within one. Mariners eight, Chicago nine. I mean, that was one of my favorite home runs of the three in game two, that one that was outside, and he went with it and just drove it into the uh, tunnel there. I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, you're feeling okay. Maybe we got a chance. We're only down one. Then the Cubs come back in the fifth, add two more. And then in the sixth, let's add three more to the Cubs. And it's, you know, eight to 14 Cubbies. And then the M's tack on one in the eighth, and the game's over. So the Cubs end up winning 14-9 uh, after the M's blow a 7-0 lead. And the Cubs, you know, win that game easily. Yeah, and, and listen, there was a lot of those balls that just got through the infield or past the guys, which I don't know if that's just the game of baseball or I'm 
talking crazy here, but it seemed like those balls used to get knocked down and stopped a little bit more in the past with this unit. I don't know. Is there anything out there you were seeing that, uh, you know, jumps out at you in that way? Yeah, I mean, I can, up to date now with four series played, I can say that there's been four balls that have gone off gloves by J.P., Wong, and Haggerty um, on those little flares. You know, they haven't come up with them. I mean, if it, tough plays, no doubt. Um, but if you get a glove on it, you feel like you got a chance to catch it. I don't know if it's because possibly the positioning with the shift now. They're starting on the dirt, so they're not starting as deep. There's wind, but... A lot of wind. A lot of wind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are just plays that, you know, they're do or die, and you just like to at least have maybe one or two of them, but you haven't come up with any in crucial situations. Yeah, and listen, the wind, you know, we're playing in the Windy City. Very Build very well for this series. It's pretty accurate portrayal. Same thing in Cleveland. But listen, I trade all this shitty wind instead of, like, snow and rain and having to go back during the season because the Mariners have the toughest travel schedule in all of baseball. So I'm very thankful for – I'll take a three-and-three, you know, road trip in April against a former playoff team and a revamped, uh, you know, offense in Chicago – not having to miss any games, not having to have any double headers, any double headers. I know it sucks because you go, man, the Mariners could have won five, five of these games, you know. But they also very well could have lost almost all of them too. The other games, let's not forget, the first couple of games in Cleveland were tight till the end. This was just some tough baseball with some tough teams. Um, yes. Uh, fundamentally, the Mariners just have not seemed to be clicking yet on the fundamental uh, end, whether it's base running, um, whether it's uh, what's going on out in the field, communication. I mean, we just saw JK and we saw Julio almost run into each other. You know, we, we're, we're seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I will agree with you. Too much sloppiness for me so far. As you mentioned, yeah, Julio and J.K. in that game three, um, I thought it was a ball that was legitimately left fielder's ball the whole way. Julio came storming in from the TV broadcast. It looked like J.K. called it right away, put his arm out, and Julio came barreling in there. Um, you know, he's playing, he's playing with a better left fielder than he has last year. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, we've seen it a few times with Julio. He's just aggressive, and he can get everything. So they just need to get it worked out. They do. There's just a lot of cleaning up that still needs to happen. And also, let's not forget, a lot of these guys didn't log in a lot of time together this spring. With When you add the WBC and things like that, uh, you know, that this could be something of that, you know, has to do with that. And it sucks because I always am like, you know, in any sport, oh, we're working things out, and it's kind of, you kind of go, well, why do we have to work that out in the regular season? But listen, that's just the way it goes, especially when you got 162 of these. But again, we'll keep saying this, a win in April is worth two in September. I'm hoping to see 
a lot of wins here in this homestand. We'll get through that on part two of this episode that we'll put out tomorrow. Anything else you want to say about uh, this this series or the road trip before we get before we move on? 